Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Darcy Thompson-Fields. And my name is Nathan Anibaba and this is the CEO of our digital show. This is an open-ended exploration of markets, technology, trends, ideas and strategies that will help you better deliver results for your company and your stakeholders. You can learn more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. Darcy, what did you think of the interview with Jeff? I thought it was a great interview. I really liked the fact that he took a slightly different path to the role of Chief Technology Officer, and he's actually very musical, very creative. Yeah, really unusual. How about for you? I really liked his ideas on the future of technology, uh, especially machine learning, AI and robotics, and what impact that was going to have on their industry over the next few years. Well, let's get straight into the interview. Let's do it. Our guest this week is Jeff Duverter. He is the Chief Technology Officer of Rackspace. Jeff has been working with cloud-based services and technologies for over 12 years. During that time, he launched business units within companies, led those units, functioned as a CTO for Microsoft Technologies, and in general, has been the trusted advisor to businesses large and small in making cloud transformation decisions. Jeff Duverter, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. I am so excited to be here. Thank you guys for for having me on. It is quite an honor, Nathan and Darcy. We are excited to have you as well, Jeff. When we were doing research for this conversation, we expected the CTO of Rackspace to have graduated from a prestigious Ivy League university, but you took a very different route into the business world and it's had no impact on your success of your career. And there are many other success stories in tech and in business that have a similar story. What does that say about the significance that we place on degree qualifications today? Oh, you're coming out of the gates with some good, hard questions. Where's your degree, Mr. Diverter? Why are you doing that job? <laughs> uh, it's a great question. So my, my path to where I am now, it, it was obviously very much a little bit different. Um, my, actually, it's my second career. My first career was in music and audio production. I did that for about 10, 12, 13 years. Now it's more of a hobby, which is great fun. Uh, and now I focus on purely things in the IT world. But one of the things that uh, that tech affords us, and when I started doing this, it was a little bit more um, not as normal, uh, but but now it's become very much mainstream. And that is, you very much people are looking for folks who can do the job, uh, who um, have the skills and capability to do it, but maybe don't necessarily have the piece of paper that says this is how we do it, or that I went to a school to do it. And by going in, having the, uh, now admittedly, I did have some, some technical certifications coming into it on the Microsoft side, but then just sequentially was able to do the job, see the next job up in line that I wanted to do, and just sort of started doing that job. And, uh, and then was recognized for having the, the ability. And that has really parlayed itself well. And combined that with my own natural strengths and skills, you know, has played out well for me to be in a position where I'm uh, inside of the office of the CTO here at Rackspace and getting to help set the direction for the company. You, you've got an absolutely fascinating background, everything from media, financial services, and now cloud technologies with Rackspace. Tell us the route that you took to become the CTO. Ooh, so that's a good question. So, so I'm going to go back to what I just said, and that was when I saw the next job, I just started to do it. And, and their Gartner defines CTO, they have, they have about four or five different 
you know, types of a CTO that you could be. And one of them is very much focused on kind of that technical visionary thing. And that's always been one thing that I've done relatively well. And that is I can see a problem and I can generally create and think of and envision what the right solution might be for that, you know, build some consensus around it and then execute on it. And in a sense that in a microcosm, as I saw it in small areas, was the foundation of what was necessarily needed for being, you know, CTO at, at Rackspace. So when I started at, at Rackspace, my first job was um, was actually I had a friend who worked here. He was leading one of the business units, and I was knee deep in a technology called SharePoint, and was working at a large financial services firm. Was the head architect setting the direction for how that tool was used across thirty thousand people, and uh, and so he his he had his team wanted to start a, a SharePoint offering. And he invited me over for lunch one day so that I could meet the team and hear their plan. Well, long story short, I said, your plan is not a good plan. You wanted to kind of create this one big environment and kind of slice it up. We call that multi-tenant and multi-tenant environment. I said, no, where Rackspace is good is in helping infrastructure, servers, and Windows devices run better at Rackspace than they could anywhere else in the world. And sort of the premise of SharePoint is if it's set up and configured correctly, it just sort of works really well for a really long time up until the point when it doesn't. And that was what I I had known about the application. So I said to my friend Taylor, I said, look, what you need to do is set up a team who all they do is solve the hardest problems in SharePoint all day long so that they not only didn't forget the stuff that they were doing, but discovered stuff that even Microsoft or others hadn't figured out yet. And that's what we did. And it was great success. And uh, customers, you know, kind of flocked in. We grew that business. I got to do other parts of the business. But but that was sort of the, I think, the genesis of the fact that I thought, you know what, I can sort of see the future in, in these areas of technology and create solutions for them. Now, how can I do that one step bigger and then one step bigger? And so it started with just the SharePoint stuff. And then it became Exchange in there as well. And then Skype for Business when that was still a thing. And then it was the Microsoft Private Cloud. And then their Azure offering at Rackspace. And then it was looking after all the Microsoft-y stuff. Um, so you can see, you know, if you have a goal that you've set for yourself, regardless of the industry, in this case, of course, it's IT. I wanted to be in a role where I could help set the direction for a company. We just start doing that in the small areas where you are, show success, and then bite off something a little bit bigger. But here's the last piece of this, though, is if you don't have the skill or ability to do that next job, you got to solve for it yourself. Now I'm a self-starter. I'm a self-learner. I love to read. I love to educate myself. And so as I would see those opportunities, you know, I would go do my homework. That's for sure. But then come back in and then be ready to, to do the job. Hmm. So, so your first stint at Rackspace was in 2008 and you were employee roughly 1200. And at that time, the business was based on managed hosting, uh, which meant that essentially you, you leased data centers and support to your customers. That's a very different business to what you're in today. Uh, you've since gone public on the NASDAQ. Describe what Rackspace looks like today. What problems do you solve for your customers? Amazing question. Uh, and I actually have an opportunity to tell the story almost on a daily basis as I talk to customers because they'll come, they'll be scratching their head and, and, and they'll say, you guys are the managed hosting people. Why are we talking about cloud? You guys are the managed hosting people. Why do you want to tell me about, about some application like SAP or Salesforce capability or even back in with the Microsoft things? But at the heart of what it was, if you go way back 
to Rackspace's very beginning, actually a couple of days or maybe a weeks or a year after it started. And it wasn't the founders who made this statement, but it was it was an early hire. And and the, the, the original Rackers, the original founders were they were they're very much in the Linux world. And a Linux is uh, uh, administrator and engineer is very purist. And if you don't know how to run the computer, well, then maybe you shouldn't even have the computer in the first place. So they kind of didn't run this whole, hey, we're going to provide support and services. They kind of ran a denial of service. They didn't even answer the phone a lot of times. Well, a customer accidentally got through one day and they truly then started to understand the pain and the challenges that customers were having with technology. And so that's when this whole, we have this phrase called fanatical support, announce fanatical experience. Uh, at Rackspace. And that is our goal to go above and beyond for our customers with their technology. In the early days, in those first 10 or 12 years, really all we had was our own data centers and physical gear that we would lease to the customers, like you rightly said. But as the multi-cloud or as the multi-tenant cloud came along as a thing, and we built one and then we started providing support for others, what we realized is our best benefit, that fanatical experience was on an amazing technology outcome. And we use technology to get there. That was our vehicle. Now, the vehicle of technology has changed over the years. It's not just physical infrastructure. It's our own public cloud. It's Azure and AWS and Google. It's application services. And now it's even stuff like we're helping our customers rewrite their applications, actual code development from running on traditional servers so that they can run in a cloud native experience so that they can solve business problems by utilizing technology as sort of that vehicle. All companies need to digitize today as they have done for several years, but that's become even more prevalent with COVID-19 and the need for digitization. So what state has that left the cloud market in today? Wow, that's a broad question. You know, when you go back, an interesting metric to look at is the quarterly earnings reports from companies like Microsoft or Google or AWS. And what you find is, in fact, I love this quote that uh, Microsoft used after their report, after COVID had started and everybody went home to work. And that was that they had sold two years of cloud in two months because everyone was forced into this mode of technology really is the lifeblood of so much stuff. I mean, we've, it's been enjoyable, you know, everybody loves Netflix and we have FaceTime and we have all of the, all of the, the fun trappings that, that technology brings. And from a, a corporate perspective, you know, companies have been using, obviously using technology for the past 40 years in some fit or fashion, growing more and more every day. But as the, as the cloud as an entity has evolved, and think about its evolution for a second. It's gone from being, hey, here's some fast servers you can get quickly in the cloud. And you compare that to Rackspace's kind of traditional managed hosting business, which, by the way, is still growing inside of Rackspace. It was all about servers. Well, the cloud started with servers, and then they added services on top of those their own servers so that things could happen faster, as opposed to renting a server by the by the month, by the day, by the hour, by the minute, by the second, now I'm going to run something as a transaction. And that's fundamentally very different. And so now you have all these other companies who are building services and capabilities on top of the cloud as well. Incredible. What it became was this sort of pent-up potential, I'll call it. But it would take real effort for companies to adopt some of that potential, to bring it in. 
Um, so I was, I like the phrase that say that it says, um, technology is sort of like an answer walking around looking for a problem. <laughs> well, you know what? In March, a problem showed up and it was COVID-19 and everybody had to go home. And now all of a sudden people are like, oh, you go to what you go to Amazon. I can't even buy a webcam anymore. You, you couldn't for months. I mean, all of the things that we needed, technology is now solving so many of these problems. Absolutely. So you mentioned Microsoft, AWS and, and Google a moment ago. Talk about how Rackspace is positioned against them, because many of your customers would also say, well, they offer cloud solutions and, and cloud offerings. How is Rackspace positioned against AWS, Microsoft and Google? That's a super question. In fact, it was it was a big part of our dialogue, our internal narrative back in the, probably about four or five years ago. It was a big challenge for us because if you look at that transformation, Rackspace had our own servers. Then Rackspace went out and built our own private cloud and public cloud. Now we did this in conjunction with, now we're, when Rackspace does something, we do it big. So we go out and team up with a bunch of rocket scientists known as NASA to invent this thing called OpenStack. And OpenStack became a leading private cloud in the world. This is in the, the early teens. And uh, it became the foundation for our own public cloud. Around this time, well, not this time, we, we went public the first time in 2008. And, and everything was going fantastic. But then as AWS, Azure, and Google show up, all of a sudden the market doesn't necessarily know what Rackspace does. And we start providing support for AWS, Azure, and Google. And what that means is we can resell it, make a little margin, and we provide that type of blocking and tackling support as well as architectural direction for how companies can help transform by utilizing the cloud. But it put Rackspace in this point of the market just didn't get us. In a lot of cases, internally, we didn't get us very well as well. And so a lot of things happened starting in and around 2015, 2016. We went back to being private. Um, and through that process, went through a reimagination of who we are, a multi-billion dollar reinventing of who Rackspace is, culminating with, uh, with our going public again just this past month. Because what we had found was that we had, we had a new leadership team came in, and that leadership team came in and really tightly defined who we are as a company. And where we are as a company is a company who creates business outcomes utilizing cloud-based technology for our customers. And it doesn't necessarily matter where that is, whether it's in, a, in our own data center or a colo facility that we're providing support for, helping to drive companies even out of our data center into Azure or Google or AWS, or even us providing support on, a, on an app known as something like Software as a Service, which is Salesforce, where now it's just professional services capabilities. But again, what we're doing is helping customers use technology, in this case, Salesforce, to move forward. And then of course that last bit where we're now doing cloud native development and transformation. So what we find ourselves in is not competing. We actually haven't competed mm. with them for years. Interesting. In fact, we are amazing partners with each of those three companies. In fact, we are at the level of partnership where you could count the people who are like us in this level on one hand. We drive more uh, companies and workloads into each of those clouds than, than 99.11% of the rest of the world. Uh, our, a majority of our customers, 60% of our revenue is found to be wrapped up in helping customers in the public cloud in some fit or fashion. Uh, and so where we find ourselves is with that partnership, both at an economic level, as well as an organizational level. I mean, at the literal top of each of those three organizations, we can uh, pick up the phone and have dialogue when there's, there's need for that. We have deep commitments on each of our sides 
um, to help make sure that we're furthering uh, you know, the, the digital transformation of the world by utilizing each other's technology or services. So, Jeff, give us an example of, of what you mean, a, a customer example that you're particularly proud of by, as you say, helping customers solve their deepest business challenges. Share an example of what you mean by that. So I'm going to share what I know is public, which is good because I stay out of trouble. Um, so we do a lot of work with a hotel chain called Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. So we started working with them a couple of years ago. I think we really helped them through a big transformation in getting them into AWS. And their CIO really uh, was quite the visionary in the fact that, you know, uh, I'll say a lot of traditional CIOs will look at their world, IT, as their business. Well, most companies, IT is not their business. And and Scott over at um, Wyndham Hotels really is quite transparent about the fact that their business is the experience of uh, of resort. It's the experience of hotels and, and guest lodging and, and vacations and all the things, not IT. IT is there to support that thing. So what Rackspace does is we come alongside of them to help them, one, adopt AWS so that they could move faster because the cloud does allow for that, that they could they could manage their costs tighter, uh, which they're able to do because of moving into a transaction-based uh, um, uh, financial model as opposed to necessarily reserving lots and lots of servers. That's still a piece of it, but it's not the only piece of it. And it puts them in a point where when COVID shows up, now they're able to do work in their environment faster. They're able to deploy code faster. They're able to um, create new services. For instance, they created a whole touchless check-in and check-out system that was deployed faster than they've done uh, previous code deployments because they were in the cloud, because they had Rackspace helping them manage that environment and work that environment. So so there's, there's an example for you. Mm, I think... One thing you touched on there was speed and obviously CEOs already know they have known for years and now it's being demonstrated for them what the cloud can do for their business. Uh, like we said now, but also in a post COVID-19 world, what if the future of a uh, world of work looks like? And, you know, CEOs have probably already told their organizations to get them on the cloud already, have their digitization strategy ready. So why are moves to the cloud coming along so slowly? What's the delay been? It is a non-trivial move. A lot of people look at the move to the cloud like they might have looked at, we're going to change offices or our data center used to be on Alpha Street. Now it's going to be over on Beta Street. Um, it's not the picking up and just moving of a workload because of the fact, like we talked about earlier, there are all of these other services and capabilities. So one of the big conversations that occurs when thinking about a move like this is, are you going to do what's called a lift and shift, basically pick up those servers as they are and now put them mm -hmm. in the cloud and then just operate them sort of as they were? Or are you going to do a transformation? In other words, we're going to rewrite a lot of what's running there so that it can run natively in the cloud. Uh, most companies use a hybrid approach to, to that. Certain ones will move faster than others. Certain things are easier to transform. I like to say move and improve. Let's at least get you over there and then start to peel stuff apart uh, and work on it once it's, once it's in the public cloud. But it's non-trivial be because of the fact that it's not also just bound in technology. Because as you transform from utilizing just standard servers to now utilizing a modern development approach, utilizing modern technology inside of the cloud, 
Well, what that does is it causes a need to change how your company even operates, the skills and capabilities that your developers have, how they organize themselves in teams or pods or however that works, or even um, the pace at which they're deploying. For instance, if I move everything out to the cloud and I don't change the architecture, in other words, I have 100 servers in my data center and now I have 100 servers running in the cloud and they're always running. By default, it will probably be more expensive and there won't be many benefits to it. So in order to truly exploit the benefit of the cloud, it requires lots of transformation organizationally, in your personnel, and then, of course, in your technology. Don't view it as a technology-only problem because it certainly isn't. Perfect. And when it comes to the cloud, I think one of the questions that continuously comes up is public versus private, right? Yeah. As well as, you know, hybrid cloud opportunities. So do you have some advice and guidance on which is best or, you know, are there wins and losses for both? Yeah, it starts with having a thoughtful plan. Uh, and the plan has got to drive specific business outcomes. Moving them to the cloud for the cloud's sake is a technologist goal to play with new technology, the shiny new thing. It has nothing necessarily to do with transforming a business, unless the cloud can be viewed as an asset, as a resource that is going to provide some tangible business value. Let's go back to Wyndham. And, and their move to the cloud caused them to change organizationally into a DevOps agile-based culture. Because they had done that work and had adopted the cloud, it allowed them then to deploy new applications and new services when COVID hit that they wouldn't have been able to do at the pace that they had done it before. It enabled a tangible business outcome. They could stay open is what it amounted to uh, in, in large part. So, um, so, so companies have got to think through what that process looks like. But there's also a misnomer that the cloud is the only way, the public cloud is the only way to modernize an application. Because in a private cloud, you can still run a host of, um, of serverless-based uh, capabilities, uh, like if you were to, to adopt a containers-based strategy. That is a massive step towards a modern uh, programmatic architecture for managing your infrastructure. And it's an amazing first step before moving to the cloud. And we'll make that transformation to the cloud much easier. But there still are very real scenarios where the private cloud makes very great sense. One of those would be geography. Maybe there's not a public cloud that's close to the customer base that needs to use it. Geography also plays into the fact if GDPR comes into play and we think about needing to make sure that my data never leaves the shores of a specific, uh, of a specific island nation or, um, or, or country somewhere. Um, and uh, there are also uh, scenarios where if the workload itself is a very, I'll call it, it's not a technical term, it's a chatty application, lots of transactions, bajillions of transactions back and forth. Think about things like uh, facial recognition in traffic cameras or um, stuff that's gonna have lots of back and forth. That, those start to get very expensive to run in the public cloud because of the ingress and egress charges for the bandwidth, as well as the transactional cost one once it's getting computed inside of there. So in those types of scenarios, some banking scenarios fits into this, um, makes a lot of sense to keep in a private cloud environment. Now, the last piece of this is what happens when those worlds converge. And they do converge because all three of the major cloud providers have a version of their cloud that can run in a data center. So their public cloud can now run in your private cloud environment. Um, so with Azure, it's Azure Stack Hub. With 
um, with AWS, it's AWS Outpost, and then it's Anthos over on Google. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're peeling apart, of, you're asking a bunch of questions that are helping us peel this onion down very well to understand that a technology shift that anyone wants to even consider right now needs to be done, first of all, thoughtfully. And in a multi-year approach, not that you have to know exactly where you want to be, but you need to know where you want your business to be. So that's going to inform what your next step is. Hmm. Really fascinating. You came back to the company in 2020 as CTO of the Products and Solutions Division to set the direction of the future products. And your remit at the time was to create your one to three year plan of what your technology vision was. So what is your vision for where technology will be in three years time? And what are some of the most exciting products and solutions that you're thinking about today? Well, what a great question. Um, There's some massive changes that are occurring in the world of technology. Some of it actually very much instigated or at least accelerated by the changes that occurred through, through COVID. And one of those is because of the vast cloud adoption that's occurred to date, and again, accelerated this year, it is putting us in a position where the cloud itself now has so much of our corporate data. And it's well-formed, and it's running in controlled databases. And Gartner has this stat, and they say that in the next five years, there will be more applications written than in the previous 40 years of technology. And that's being driven in large part. In fact, 60%, they're estimating, 60% of those applications that are being written are of a type that are called low-code or no-code. And what these are is your set of tools. All the cloud providers have them now, although Microsoft has had uh, offerings in this space for quite some time, that put development tools in the hands of business users. So not classically trained developers or even, you know, people who sit at home and get certifications like myself and then figure out how to do it. They're not developers by trade. They are business people. But they their benefit is that they know the business so well. They know their aspect of the business so well. And a lot of times, these, these folks inside of these business units have very real needs in their, in their departments, in their divisions for a new application to do something. And it could be something as simple as how do we track um, the top 10 customers in our organization and have a specific touch point for them and uh, know how to and when to connect with them on a quarterly or a half year or an annualized basis. And, and how do they create a little tool to do that? Now, why this, these, these top 10 customers may drive millions upon millions of dollars of revenue for the company. The IT department may be solving for things that measure in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Hmm. And something that shows up and says, hey, if you made us this nifty calendar reminder app, by the way, this is a real scenario from our previous life. If you could make us this little calendar app, we could hmm. probably make the company $50 million a year. And the IT would look back at them and say, that's really interesting. It's too small. <laughs> Can you believe that? It's too small. Um, and, and 
But but now, in fact, I saw them solve this problem in a very interesting way. But now what happens is you have these tools and they're very much drag and drop tools. They're very low code. That's why it's called low code or no code. But right. they can they can address data sources. So they could create a data source that says, okay, so select from master database, top 10. This is not well-formed SQL, by the way. And, uh, and then keep a tracking of who's talking to them when, what services and capabilities that they have, what's the roadmap look like, and, and, and fill in the blanks. But all of this, they're just a drag and drop solution and solve for that in real time. Now, these are the types of simple things that SharePoint was solving 10 and 15 years ago. But now that's happening at scale. And so these business users, users who know their business area so well can now just create the thing themselves. In the past, if they were having IT or a consultant come in, they'd spend two weeks telling them the business flow. Okay, this process looks like this. It goes from A to B to Z to, to G, back to whatever. And if this happens or it's a Tuesday or it's raining, then it goes over here. But, but because these solutions are being built by uh, these business users who already know that stuff, hmm. they just have to learn the tools to drag these little solutions together. And here's why it's working now when it didn't work in the past. And that is because they're doing this against cloud-based data that's already managed and owned by the enterprise. We have no rogue data sets showing up anymore. All of this can happen inside of the corporate managed environment, which is pretty incredible. So that's a massive thing that's coming in the future. Uh, another is uh, what's happening. You mentioned IoT and machine learning. Sure. We're, we're using machine learning extensively at Rackspace. It's actually how we solve over 60% of our tickets that are either system generated or customer record generated. And, um, and it's those simple things. It's the repeatable things. It's the you know, reboot a server. It's the cycle of web service, stuff that our customers help us define. But we're able to solve in an automated fashion because, you know, we've done it 10,000 times before. I bet you that 10,000 first time, if we do it the same way, it's all good. Hmm. Um, because of that app explosion in applications that's happening now and coming over the next five years, we've got to run in a more automated fashion. We're bringing to market IoT offerings for our customers, even even um, prototyping boards that they'll be able to experiment with. You think about a hotel and they want to monitor when somebody's in the room or when the last time somebody was in the room or the temperature in the room. Devices that they can put in there that all pull up into the cloud and then give them real live insights into what's happening now. But then also through AI and ML, we're able to then provide predictive analytics about what's going to be happening. Hmm. Considering what you've touched on, you know, in the future of technology, if there was one particular focus that you advise your CTO peers and customers to have, what would that be? Uh, choose one. It's like, who's your favorite child? <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. Um, so here's my recommendation I've been giving out lately. My recommendation is to view all of technology as a consolidated fabric of capability. And then when you think about how you would categorize those things is to give them characteristics. In other words, it's going to help define when, when if you're in a CTO or CIO and now business user comes knocking on your door and says, I need something to solve this problem. You're going to ask a very few pointed questions to help define what the right toolbox is to bring to the table to solve that problem. Because if you, if you don't look at the world through the lens of, I love private cloud or I love public cloud, but looking through the lens of, I want my business to succeed. First of all, let's define what success looks like. Sure. And then let's see how technology marries to that. Sure. Do we have regulatory reasons that says the public cloud is a no-no? Very well could be. 
But usually it's not an all-encompassing thing like that. Usually it has to do with data sets. So it's really just taking a pragmatic approach to looking at all of the public cloud, private cloud, and hybrid, and everything in between, and categorize it and characterize it in relation to who your business is and the limitations that you've got, as well as where you want your business to be. And that will help you clearly define the path of least resistance and the most value as you move forward. Jeff, last question before we get into our uh, fun personal questions about about you. Um, the let's talk about COVID nineteen and specifically sort of how your business and pretty much all businesses now are having to kind of adapt their organizations to uh, run in this new normal. Many businesses are thinking about some form of hybrid model as the pandemic progresses, and some businesses are thinking their employees are going to work from home indefinitely. Some will be in the office uh, more and more, and some will be in between, a couple of days in the office, a couple of days at home. If that's the case, what are the implications for business operations, hiring of new employees, upskilling, sort of retraining, innovation and creativity? It used to be that we would get around a whiteboard and come up with ideas in, in a room full of 10 or 15 people, that's not happening anymore. So what are the implications for uh, Rackspace as we move into this new normal? And what are the implications for the other clients that you're talking to? Yeah, so, you know, the world of work from home before COVID was was challenging. If you had a company that started that way, usually small businesses, they could adapt easily because it's how they grew up. But for companies like a Rackspace or, or anybody else of that, that nature needed to have a remote employee, it was challenging for those remote employees because you'd have people who would go into a conference room that would have video conference capabilities. But oftentimes that, that, that the screen is mounted to a wall. And what would happen most of the time is everybody sort of has their back to the wall while they look at one another and have a conversation, making that remote employee feel like a you know third-class citizen inside of the conversation. <laughs> smack, smack to where we are right now. And now we're all at home and everybody sure. is, is live in this scenario. So it works. So I think that what we really have to focus on is how do we retain these muscles of understanding that everybody in that call is a first-class citizen and has an opinion. And if a decent amount of people go back to an office and the meeting originates from there, then... Um, then it's going to it's going to require those folks to have some situational memory of you know what that somebody's sitting back in their office the corner of their bedroom wherever they might be and they've got to be engaged as opposed to kind of bullying our way in so i think the 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 story is more how do we ensure that we can retain these muscles and they don't atrophy once we start to go back to an office the other piece is hopefully we've all learned how to do this because as the world becomes smaller on a day-to-day basis because of travel because of all sorts of things this isn't the last one. I mean, it's just it's the reality of it. It wasn't the first one. Uh, there will be more, and we're going to need to be able to pivot when we need to pivot. And so making sure that we remember this from an operational perspective and how to, how to execute is going to be, I think, extraordinarily important. And I would encourage companies to have, you know, remember in high school, we'd have our fire drills, um, you know, just to make sure we remembered how to walk out of the building in an organized fashion. Well, I think we need to think about how do we have a, okay, everybody go home on Thursday. We're not coming to the office. How do we go do that? But there are scenarios, and Nathan, you really called it out well. There are scenarios where, you know what? Having a big, fat whiteboard, and Rackspace loves us some whiteboards. Every wall almost inside of Rackspace is a whiteboard, especially in conference rooms. 
And that is such a great place to roadmap. It's a great place to ideate. It's a great place to, you know, kind of work together collectively. And you can't do that when we're hundreds or thousands of miles apart in a lot of cases. Uh, there's another scenario I read about, and it was a bunch of um, scientists, and they normally would get together and they would, they were, they were designing robots. And they would get together around a table of the current prototype and they would poke at it and make it work and, and, and it would fail and they would fix things. Well, that becomes incredibly challenged to do when nobody's in the same room. So those scenarios do exist and we've got to think about what that looks like. The future of our offices looks a whole lot different too. I mean, at Rackspace, we have traditional you know, cubicles all over the place um, and they are not six feet apart. So I don't even know what that looks like for us in the future. Hmm. So somebody's going to have to solve for that. But what I hope is that everybody remembers how to utilize these skills um, and isn't afraid to do it. You know, when you go work from home and if you had an office that was traditionally a work in the office and you were the one working from home, everybody's like, yeah, he's working from home. Um, Working hard, aren't you there, Jeff? I think we've all learned that these back-to-back Zoom calls makes us work harder than we ever thought we would. Let's get into our speed round now. These are these are the questions that we're going to fire at you. And if you can fire some short, sharp answers back, that would be greatly appreciated. Darcy and I will take these in turn to fire some questions at you. What does the evolution of the role of the CTO look like? Uh, incredibly important to the organization, provided the organization understands that technology is a primary driver to whatever their business is. There aren't really many businesses that aren't hugely impacted by technology, but also making sure that technology doesn't step in front of whatever that main business thing is. Technology is cool and it's fun. And as a CTO, I get to play with it all day long. But it's um, in most businesses, that's not what it is. So the role of the CTO, in my opinion, is to be visionary, to help match the current business challenges and opportunities to the available tech that exists or what's on the horizon. And how do you marry a corporate strategy to a technology? That wasn't fast, but it was faster. (laughs) Pretty fast. What kind of leader would you say that you are, Jeff? Are you more of a creative leader? Are you more commercially focused? Are you despotic, empathetic? Describe your leadership style. So I'm not despotic, uh, although I kind of dream of it, but I don't have the personality (laughs) for it. I'd love to be a command and control person. Um, Definitely a creative leader. I'm a creative person by by nature. I mentioned the the whole music career ahead of time as an engineer and producer and player and all that sort of thing. Um, But I look at the world very much through the lens of how can I look at everything that's in front of me and assemble those pieces into something that that is either has great value, um, has beauty, is fun. And I I love bringing people along on that ride. What is your biggest sort of guilty technology pleasure? Guilty technology? All the things you enjoy doing, whether it's streaming, whether you spend too much time on social media. What's your guilty technology pleasure? Well... I don't get overloaded with social media, so it's not that. You know what I think it is, is now I have the opportunity to kind of pull, I never thought I would see this collision of careers, the music stuff that I used to do into what I'm doing today. I, As you, you may be aware, I have a little podcast as well, and um, and I used to send it off to be edited, and now I just, with, with Pro Tools, I, I get to work in audio production again, even if it's just for my own content. So the fact that I get to play with with music and audio in a creative context while doing my job, it's pretty exciting. 
And Jeff, our final question, what are the one or two things that are top of mind in your role today that you are focusing on for the next six to 12 months? Great question. So it's an evolution of some internal technology that now has external implication. It's this technology we call Rackspace Fabric. You see, as companies adopt more and more clouds, and they are adopting more and more clouds, it creates, of course, additional capabilities and skills that they get to go out and utilize in those clouds, but it creates a lot of redundancy and activities. How do you monitor all those clouds? How do you keep track of all the assets in those clouds? How do you get consolidated billing? How do you get a unified ticketing? Well, Rackspace is solving for that right now and has solved in large part for a lot of it, um, but it's helping customers what it does is it helps them accelerate their cloud adoption. So I'm really excited about that, but I'm also extraordinarily excited about what we're doing in the cloud transformation space. Rackspace before would take your tired, your, tired, your weary uh, applications and run them on amazing infrastructure. And now we're um, helping take those applications and modernize them and help literally reinvent companies and how they how they view technology. And that is that's part big part of why I got into this game. Really fascinating. Jeff, thank you very much for your time. Oh, so glad to have been here. Thank you for having me on, Darcy and, and Nathan. Thanks so much for joining us. For more great content, go to ceo.digital. If you enjoyed this conversation, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever amazing podcasts are found. See you next time on the ceo.digital show. Mm-hmm.